Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. Very excited to have you here. Real quick reminders. Number one, we have an interview up, went up yesterday. It should be in your feeds right now. It is a retrospective about the life and legacy of H. Ross Perot. We're going to talk a little bit about him in this episode here, but my buddy uh, and Night Attack co-host Brian Brushwood way back in 1992 volunteered for the Perot campaign as a boy and uh, uh, certainly has a lot of third-party feelings. Uh, we talk about his legacy as uh, a third-party candidate on the debate stage, whether or not we'll, we'll ever see that again. Go ahead and check it out. Also, this is a big push here. We are at 556 patrons. The highest we've ever been. I double-checked this. I, I went to Graftreon. I, I, I saw the highest number of patrons we've ever had. It was 558. But then again, their tool's a little weird. So here's what I'm I'm asking. I would love to get to 560. 560, we're definitely ahead of anything we've ever uh, uh, done before. I'm very, very excited about all the support you guys have been giving me uh, over the last few weeks. Obviously, this is prime time for this show, and I'm doing my best to give you everything I have every single week. So if you like this, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Go ahead and sign up for the Patreon. If we can get to 560, I will be thrilled. It will be a milestone for me and my career, and I, I can't thank you enough. Head on over there, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. As a reminder, at the $3 level, you get a bonus podcast on Monday, bonus podcast on Friday. All right, never talk about how we support the show. Let's go ahead and do the damn thing. Very, very, very pleased to be with you here on July 10th. Where did the year go, my friends? Why are we already barreling toward the end? I mean, like we're at con season already. Con season rolls right into fall, which rolls right into the holiday season. And next thing you know, we are going to be into 2020. Although I said that like it's a bad thing. If I could fast forward, ooh, just get right into those primaries. No, no, no. I'd miss so much good stuff. So much good stuff, including the stuff that we're going to go into today. We have uh, a little to talk about Ross Perot. Ross Perot dead at 89 yesterday. I got to watch in some of his old. I mean, here's like what a freak show I am. I went back and just watched his old 30-minute commercials that he used to buy on broadcast television. It's kind of a weird thing. I mean, this has been done before and since, but uh, it was really a, a, a remarkable thing for a third-party candidate to do because he was so rich. I watched him, and I found some interesting stuff. I'm going to talk to you about that. We're going to talk about Joe Biden. 
We're going to talk about Jeffrey Epstein. We're going to talk about Nancy Pelosi and AOC. We're going to talk about conservative grievances with social media. Pole dance, butcher emails. But first, can you smell it? <sighs> the iron in the air, the soft patter of drums in the distance. War is coming, friends. This will end in violence, and only one army will be left standing. And I'm telling you, the battle lines have been drawn. We are at the precipice of all-out combat between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Now, like all wars, these things don't just pop up out of nowhere. What makes them inevitable is their backstories. And there is certainly a backstory between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And it goes back, most notably, to 2016. Bernie Sanders obviously made a deep run, unexpected though it might have been, in the Democratic primary against Hillary Clinton. All the while, Sanders fans looking for allies to push them over the top in the same way that Barack Obama found allies in his primary challenge against Hillary Clinton looked primarily to Elizabeth Warren. Similar firebrand, similar progressive ideals, somebody that very much... Uh, seems sympathetic to not only Bernie Sanders as a politician himself, but also Bernie Sanders' fans. They wanted an endorsement. They wanted the rocket fuel to push them over the top. And no matter how much Elizabeth Warren seemed to back the interests of Bernie Sanders, seemed to support the ideas that Bernie Sanders supported... She never endorsed. In fact, she waited until that long, protracted primary had come and gone in a month and a half before the Democratic National Convention. She endorsed Hillary Clinton. I am ready to get in this fight and work my heart out for Hillary Clinton to become the next president. Just so we're clear here, her not endorsing Bernie when it mattered was effectively her spurning Bernie. Spurning Bernie. That's pretty funny. This was a betrayal. That's the shot. Here's the chaser. She eventually, after Donna Brazil's book comes out, says that the primary, the primary that she waited until it had fully concluded was indeed rigged. We recognize the process was rigged, and now it is up to Democrats to build a new process, a process that really works. And preferably one that makes me the nominee. So where are we now? Bernie opened his campaign very strongly, very strongly, both in numbers as the front runner and his massive first quarter earning numbers. That was also number one. A March Fox News poll had Bernie at 23% of respondents saying that they supported him. Warren, a paltry 4%. Mind you, both of them announced, the, announced their candidacy at around the same time a month before. Fundraising-wise, 
Bernie brought in $18 million in the first quarter. Warren had six. But the worm, my friends, has turned. In part because Warren found smart paths to play to new modern progressivism while maintaining a pathway back to the center should she win. Her rise came along with the zero-cost push on impeachment. Again, this is calorie-free for Warren. She's in the Senate. She doesn't have to deal with the fight in the House. She knows probably that Pelosi is going to do everything she possibly can to keep this off the agenda. She has successfully starved it of oxygen. So Warren coming out as soon as that Mueller report hit and saying he needs to be impeached costs her zero. But it did build the momentum of her current swing right now, which has been great. She empties the clip weekly with random policy proposals on Medium. And yet, you still need that pathway back to the center. You still need that pathway. She has maintained her love of markets. Now, there's a quote that I really wanted to get sound for, but apparently there is none. And to be totally honest, I can't exactly verify it beyond a Twitter account. But it's that Warren told a New England council that she is a, quote, capitalist to her bones, which sounds like a very Elizabeth Warren-y thing to say. She's also said, with, without that framework, she has said that she is a capitalist, she loves markets on camera before. So I'm not going to dismiss it as total fiction, but I wanted to find sound for it. Because I do think that that's, one of those core elements between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren wants to save capitalism by changing it. Bernie Sanders has been about this democratic socialist life for far longer than it was cool. For Warren, these policies are a strategy. For Bernie, it's a lifestyle. But where are they now? While Bernie has continued to say the exact same things that he said in 2016, the exact same things he said decades before that, the exact same things he said in between, Elizabeth Warren has made moves. An Economist YouGov poll from earlier this month has Warren now at 19%, Bernie at 9 Both campaigns have self-reported what they raised in the second quarter of fundraising. Bernie... Another 18 million, steady Eddie. He knows where he can get that same amount of money. Elizabeth Warren, who previously raised six, now she's toward the top at 19 million. That's more than Bernie. No. You know what that means? You know what that means when they're battling for the same ideas, when they are trying to frame themselves as mainstream candidates that can beat Donald Trump with the same set of tools. Oh, I just have chills, chills down my spine, a bone chilling Cold that can only signify that we are about to see some swords clash. So where are we going? To war. 
Bernie's future relies on him convincing mainstream voters that democratic socialism isn't a deal breaker. Warren has been a massive cheerleader for that, but at this point, she's becoming popular enough that the crowd might demand we cancel the second half of the game to let the pep squad keep dancing. Warren, meanwhile, seems very strategically aware of how to talk to persuadable Bernie voters, and I believe is ready, willing, and able to play the role of the second female victim of the toxic Bernie bro masculinity squad. She won't say it. The press will do it for her one Twitter thread at a time. Meanwhile, what does Bernie do? Well, I'll tell you what he needs to do. Bernie needs to take an earned victory lap as the man who brought these ideas to the mainstream. If he doesn't, he will have them hijacked by a candidate that has, is, and will play politics much better than he can. Warren is running a smarter campaign and her future runs through Sanders. Biden and Pete are moderates, Kamala's a cop. She needs to eat Bernie and gain his powers if she wants the nomination. And if Bernie does not frame this as a contest where you can either vote for the genuine article or a wavering copycat that you can't be sure will stick with this trend as opposed to the next one, she will flay him for his clout with his own healthcare plan and leave him fleshless. Bernie needs to fight or risk being left a big old pile Politics. I would like to thank everybody who supports our free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. If you want a way to support the show, then uh, go ahead and get on our mailing list. Uh, five days a week, five stories a day, hot takes, gifts, everything you can possibly want. In fact, I'll tell you what, I, I think I'm going to need to get away from hot takes. Because buddy John Teasdale, co-creator of The Contender, uh, the game of presidential debate, he has, he has guided me very well. He listens to the show. He's a very important voice for me in terms of shaping things because I know when he says it, it's something that, that I need to change. And so the last thing he said to me was, stop saying that you have hot takes. Now, I never thought of hot takes as a bad thing, but... If it comes off that I'm not putting time, effort, and care into the stuff that I am sending out, then I will I will refrain. I'll t I'm curious to see if you guys have any other ideas on exactly what I would call, call my particular brand of analysis. But I know you can find it in the free political newsletter if you go to freepoliticalnewsletter.com. It is something I'm very proud of. This audience that we have built on not only this show, but also the newsletter is remarkable. You guys are always there for this and uh, a free way that you can support this show. And we've added a couple times. People have been emailing more in that, hey, uh, it's summer. Uh, I'm on a long road trip with my wife or my mom or I guess I have a lot of dudes listening. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a lady who's going to uh, uh, turn the show on to their husband at some point. If you are a wife that has turned the show on to your uh, a husband or uh, a girlfriend who has turned it on to your boyfriend, whatever, all all combinations of any and all of the gender spectrum are welcome. Turn on a friend. Either play this show for him or a super easy way to do it is if there's one of these newsletters that you really like, go ahead and forward it to him. Super easy. And there's a link right there at the top that says if you'd like to subscribe, go ahead and click this button. Couldn't do it. 
Couldn't do it without you guys. Uh, we are currently on the race to modernity with the newsletter, trying to get that number as high as possible. We're in the roaring 20s now. We hope, hope that by the time that summer's over, we can be in our modern times. But either way, love writing it. Thank you guys for supporting it. Freepoliticalnewsletter.com. H. Ross Perot dead at the age of 89 yesterday sent me into a bit of a spiral about the 1992 election. It is something that I will eventually have to do a far deeper dive into because, oh my God, oh my God, this election, it's everything I've ever wanted. Uh, it's so good. It's amazing. Not only does it have the three... The, or the, the the debates that included three people on stage, something that has not happened ever on television, all television debates other than the ones that happened in 1992, stretching from 1960 until the modern day, have always had a Republican and a Democrat. Did you know that at one point in June of the election year, not June of when we are right now, right? Like uh, the, the, the year before, this is months before Election Day. H. Ross Perot, independent candidate for president, polled at 39% of the vote. Bush had 31, Clinton had 25. For whatever reason, I'd never known that he was that close. Because let's say that's an outlier poll. That's still indicative of him being in the hunt. Now, the campaign was a total disaster. Uh, Perot had a tremendous paranoia about uh, uh, George H.W. Bush's former friends in the CIA. There is uh, uh, evidence to suggest that part of the reason why he decided to run was uh, as part of a feud that only Texas can birth. He wound up getting into a major fight with his staff and accused them of being CIA plants. He quits the race. And then once his name is on the ballot in all 50 states, he gets back in. By the time that the election happens, he gets 18.9% of the vote, which is insane. Like now, to think about a third-party candidate getting 18.9% of the vote is crazy pants with silly sauce, right? But at that point, it was a massive underachievement. So one of the things that he did to, to get himself back on track is he had fallen to single digits after he quit the race. And when he got back in, he had the chance to qualify for the debates, which he did. And then he bought 30 minutes of airtime, which would run him uh, at the time anywhere between 150000 to $700,000 in 1992. That'd be about $1.2 now. And they drew. They, they drew pretty good viewership. They apparently outdrew some sitcoms. And remember, back in 92, we're in the dawning days of cable, but by and large, most people watch the, at that point, we had Fox, right? So that was four channels. To watch, but but uh, th these these things were doing a uh, uh, sixteen point five million viewers. That's a lot. For a modern comparison, 
the most viewed show last night. So I'm recording this on a Wednesday. This is on Tuesday, January 9th. The most highly rated show drew 9.64 million. It was America's Got Talent. So however big you think America's Got Talent's reach is, that is Ross Perot talking directly to the camera, showing charts. So here's what I'd like to do. I watched one of these specials, Pillar to Post. You can find it on YouTube. Ross Perot, 1992, Balancing the Budget and Reforming Government. That's what it was called. Barn burner of a title, H. But I edited it down because I found it fascinating. And it really makes you think about how much the dynamics of politics has changed since 1992. So do me a favor here. I want you, we don't normally do this, so take take this walk with me. I edited this 30-minute special down to six minutes. What I would like for you to do is listen to these six minutes, and then at the end of it, open up your email and email me, the young American at gmail.com and tell me what politician, modern politician, politician currently active, right? This reminds you of. Who does this sound the most like? Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Ross Perot. Good evening. Tonight we're going to talk about how to solve the problems that we defined that face our country. So, since we're dealing with voodoo economics, a great young lady from Louisiana sent me this voodoo stick, and I will use it as my pointer tonight. What is the net effect of the way our country's been run? What used to be a dollar in 1950 is now 18 cents. No wonder both parents are working, some of them two jobs, just to make ends meet. Running the value of the dollar down is really hurting the people in our country. Now let's look at the net effect on all of us. From 77 to 92, the poorest got poorer, the second poorest fifth, this is 20% of the population, still lost money. The middle fifth, the three fifths up, still lost money. When you get to the four fifths, it's break even. The richest fifth is the only place that went up. Now go to the top 5% and the top 1%. Top 5% improved their incomes by 60%. The top 1% by 138%. Trickle-down economics didn't trickle, and this isn't fair. Well, just to show you how fouled up the system is, in the middle of all this, what's happening to our corporate executive salaries compared to those of our industrial competitors who are beating us in head-to-head -head competition? And here is the ratio in the United States. Trickle-down economics didn't trickle at all, folks. It all stopped right here. These guys want to make this kind of money, they ought to be TV anchormen, basketball players, uh, or rock stars. This chart makes it as clear as I can to you in terms of who is going to own tomorrow. Think of Taiwan, tiny little island. There it is, just in a little piece of Texas. They're going to spend $600 billion on public investment programs. Our great country is going to spend $150 billion, one-fourth that much. In fact, we're over about 12 times their population and we're spending a fourth as much preparing for the future. And it is voodoo economics, 
and maybe now's the time for me to wave the voodoo stick and get rid of the hex. We have 19th century capitalism in this country. Our successful international competitors are practicing modern-day capitalism. We need to practice 21st century capitalism. We'll reduce the business entertainment deduction. You know, kind of almost charge off anything against your income tax on entertainment now. We'll save 16 billion now. That money's spent right on the bullseye. Doesn't go in somebody's pocket to buy a yacht. And here we will tax the top 18% only of Social Security recipients on 85% of their income instead of 50% of their benefits and of the wealthiest. That's just the top 18%. So we're spending more than enough to have the world's finest health care. We rank behind 15 other nations in life expectancy and behind 22 other nations in infant mortality. We bought a front row box seat air conditioned and we didn't get to see the show. So if anybody wants the detail, it's right here. It will take an hour to go through every number here, but it all adds up. It is real. Could it be improved? Possibly so. Are we flexible to change it and improve it? Absolutely. But the thing we can't do is just sit here playing Lawrence Welk music, wonderful, 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 doing nothing. This would be comparable to knowing you had gangrene in your toe and doing nothing and then wondering why you had to lose your whole leg. Eliminate PACs, political action committees. We've got to make our elected officials responsive to the people and not to the special interests. That's job one. We've got to eliminate all possibilities of special interests giving large sums of money to candidates and we must leave no loopholes. We must limit political contributions to $1,000 and no other way. Today we hold elections on Tuesday. It's hard for working people to vote. They have to go early in the morning or late in the afternoon. Let's change it and hold elections on both Saturday and Sunday. Make it easier for working people to vote. We've got to require all members of Congress and the President to turn in excess political funds from prior campaigns to the U.S. Treasury immediately after a campaign. As a matter of principle, we must get rid of all the freebies in Congress and the White House, such as free haircuts, free gymnasiums, free prescription drugs, free ambulance service, and the list goes on forever. These people are our servants. We don't have those things. Why should they? Congress absolutely must stop exempting itself from laws it imposes on us, such as the Disability Act, the Equal Opportunity Act, the Occupational Safety Act, Fair Labor Standards Act, and believe it or not, sexual harassment. This is just hard work. If we will do it, if we will team up, if we will make our diversity a strength instead of a weakness, if we will focus on a goal and if we won't quit until the battle is won, we can pass on the American dream to our children because we can do anything in this great country. That is the American dream. We can be anything we want to be. These are the things you sit around at night and talk about. Think how good we will all feel when we have these problems solved. Together, we can do it. Together, we can do anything. I want to be around here when that happens. Thank you very much. Politics! Hey, spending most of my afternoon cutting up a 27-year-old speech from a losing candidate in a presidential election that most people don't remember is a good use of my time. Oh, well, in that case. Wrong! 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 Uh, 
guess it's time for the parade of wrong opinions. You know, when it comes to really, really, really good opinions, I always know that I can turn to Joe Biden, which is why it was totally a correct and right move for him to not apologize for his comment about working with segregationists. Wrong! Oh, wait. He did apologize. So what the po- What was the point of all of this, Biden? Honestly, what were you even doing? He makes a comment about working with segregationists, and he has an opportunity to say, hey, look, you can twist my words. You can try to make me seem like a racist. You can try to make me seem like, a, uh, like I don't have a good record on civil rights. But guess what? Look at the look at the larger picture and then uh, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me it's not a record on civil rights you would hope you had if you had served when I did. Beyond all the second guessing. Look at the final grade. He doesn't or no, he does that initially, then he gets gets his ass kicked against uh uh you know uh, Kamala Harris. Oh. And he took a punch from Eric Swalwell. Swalwell, your campaign has officially rest in peace. But yeah, that guy, that guy, he took a punch from that guy and it landed, right? That's that's where Joe Biden was during that debate. And then... He apologizes anyway. He apologizes anyway. What is the point? Biden, what is going on? Honestly, honestly, what is happening? Who is running this campaign? I have no idea. Joe Biden apologized Saturday for his remarks about working with segregationists during his time in the Senate, but again stopped short of saying that it was wrong to work with them amid a defense of his broader civil rights record, quote, Now, I was wrong a few weeks ago to somehow give the impression to people that I was praising those men who I successfully opposed at the time. And again, yes, I was. I regret it. I'm sorry for any pain or misconception that I caused anybody. What is happening with that campaign? I literally have no idea what the butt is going on with Biden. Here's what I do know. That Jeffrey Epstein story is about to blow over. Wrong! Oh, yeah, it's definitely not. Uh, So if you're unfamiliar, Jeffrey Epstein was a financier. He uh, primarily kind of worked that very uniquely uh, Floridian uh, Palm Beach to Manhattan corridor. You know, there is there is often it is often said that the the sixth borough. Wait. Yeah, the sixth borough of Manhattan is South Florida, and it is to a certain element of our country, Jeffrey Epstein being one of them. He also uh, is somebody who has now been uh, alleged twice, brought up on charges twice, of being an underage sex trafficker. Among the people that he had close ties to was Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, both of which were quoted almost right next to each other in a flattering way 
New York Magazine piece about Epstein in which Trump called him a fantastic guy who loves women almost as much as I do, although some of his are on the younger side. Yipes. Freezing cold takes. Bill Clinton quoted right uh, down below saying, Jeffrey Epstein, fantastic philanthropist. What an amazing philanthropist that guy is. So now... Donald Trump has said that uh, he has not been a fan of his uh, for 15 years. They had a real big falling out. Uh, Bill Clinton, in very Clintonian fashion, released a very particular denial. Let me just read this, this Bill Clinton denial. President Clinton knows nothing about the terrible crimes Jeffrey Epstein pled guilty to in Florida some years ago or those in which he has been recently charged in New York. In 2002 and 2003, President Clinton took a total of four trips on Jeffrey Epstein's airplane, one to Europe, one to Asia, and two to Africa, which included stops in connections with the work of the Clinton Foundation. Staff, supporters of the foundation, and his Secret Service detail traveled on every leg of every trip, he had one meeting with Epstein in his Harlem office in 2002 and around the same time made one brief visit to Epstein's New York apartment with a staff member and his security detail. He has not spoken to Epstein in well over a decade and has never been to Little St. James Island, Epstein's ranch in New Mexico or his residence in Florida. Whenever Bill Clinton starts giving uh, unasked for very specific details, my initial thought is... What's next to all these details? <laughs> I mean, because he's such a lawyer, right? Like, that's the this is the Clintonian move. Anchor all of these points. And this is a Bill Clinton move. This is not a Hillary Clinton move. Hillary Clinton's move is deny all details. Bill Clinton's move is let me throw out very specific details that I know I can defend. In in the in the wording of this. There is a Swiss Army knife defense for anything. And in the meanwhile, he wants to take the high ground on, hey, I said exactly what I did with this guy. The person who definitely has to watch his ass is Trump's labor secretary, Acosta. He was one of the U.S. attorneys that initially gave a sweetheart plea deal to Epstein for those uh, uh, earlier crimes that he was charged for in Florida, which were also underage sex trafficking. Oh, boy. Hey, you want to know who is resting free and easy up there in D.C.? Oh, the, the, the old gal pals, Nancy Pelosi and AOC, who have a great relationship. Wrong! Oh. Yeah, according to a new podcast with AOC, they don't have a relationship. And in fact, she suspects that maybe she's being given a lot of busy work so she cannot make more trouble in the public eye. To which I say, you want to know what, AOC? You're probably right. <laughs> hey, we're done talking about uh, uh, bias against conservatives on social media. Wrong! Oh yeah, definitely not. Uh, this is going to be an issue tomorrow. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this on Thursday, it'll be today. There will be a social media summit in the White House of which the platforms are not invited. 
a lot of conservative social media figures will gather in the White House to talk about exactly how screwed up things are. Get ready to rumble. We are in full campaign season. Hey, speaking of the campaign, we have a whole Democratic field here and we got a new poll. But of course, we have to go five wide. Can't read everybody's name, which means that Inslee, Bullock, Klobuchar, Yang, Castro, Gabbard, Booker, and O'Rourke. I don't see how you can hate from outside of the club. You can't even get in. and gentlemen welcome 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 we have an economist you gov edition of the Stepping up first to the stage with 6% of our total, he is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg! (laughs) Stepping up next, oh man, with 12%. Normally, he's a lot later in the card. It's Bernie Sanders. Up third, she is the senator from California, ladies and gentlemen. It is Kamala Harris. But now your headliners with 18. She is the surging senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. That's 18. With 22. Your headliner, but for how long? Joe. Biden! That is Judge 6, Sanders 12, Hachi Machi. Harris 15, Warren 18, Biden 22. That is Joe Biden with a paltry four point spread. Now, to be fair, the the headline here is that uh, Bernie did not pull well. But he has historically not done well 
with the Economist YouGov polls, he previously had 9% in that. It's also a, a bad poll historically for Biden. Biden does bad in uh, Economist YouGov polls and in Quinnipiac polls, it seems. Well, and in CNN. I guess that number just keeps getting bigger. All right. Let's go ahead and get into but your emails. You can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Let's start with this one. Luke writes, Justin, I've noticed a common trend in American politics where the next president chosen is often based off the flaws of the previous one. Clinton got a blowy in the White House, so Bush won on Christian family values. Bush sucked in public, uh, at public speaking and came off as impulsive. Obama was cool and collected and gave great speeches. Obama seemed indecisive and got nothing done. Trump won to make America great again and get shit done. With that in mind, I see two ways that the Dems can counter Trump in 2020. One, Trump had grand ideas but no actual planned out policies. In this vein, Warren could win. Two, Trump is too much of a personality that comes off as unprofessional. We elect a piece of white bread like Biden or Mayor Pete. Anyway, just an idea. So I initially, like, whenever anybody gets into, like, their high-minded political opinions, of which I, of course, get defensive because I mint high-minded political opinions for a living, I immediately just start shaking my head. But I had to, I, I had to, I had to give Lucas credit here. I was like, man, you want to know what? Like that actually makes a lot of sense. That was pretty awesome. Uh, 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 I think that there's a lot there. Now, if you want to read into that even further, realize that everybody he mentioned, they didn't vote them out until after they were reelected to a second term. So, take that for whatever it's worth. Ken writes. I used to think there was the more the merrier when it came to political parties in Canada. But lately, I'm wondering if we're just fooling ourselves. Our third major party is always a factor every election. I feel like I'm always seeing a lot of orange signs and hearing a lot about NDP political ads. And our Canadian version of juries are always speculating that maybe this time the conditions are right for an NDP victory. And every time, they roughly take a quarter of the pie. You see, it's nice to see Dr. Pepper on the menu, but once the waiter shows up, you're going to order the same Coke or Pepsi you always have. Then again, people seem to be really fed up with Trudeau this time, so maybe this time it's the NDP's election. Ken, I don't know shit about Canadian politics, but no. No. Stop stop thinking about that. It's not going to happen. Chris writes, I'm sorry to bring logic to politics, but the Acosta-Epstein thing has me shaking my head. Acosta was confirmed to be labor secretary. If this is such an issue now, where was that during the hearings? Shouldn't we be blaming those in the Senate that confirmed him that they didn't review his record? Isn't that the job of confirmation hearings? I'm not questioning, uh, questioning that Acosta made a bad decision with the Epstein case. He did. I'm questioning how he became labor secretary with this hanging over him. Shouldn't we be demanding that those who confirmed him also step down? <laughs> of course! <laughs> right? I mean, come on. By the way, this is why I like politics and I hate government. And that brings us to the end of our show. 
There's something that I am way overdue on, and I want to thank some of the people that have made, uh, <laughs> that have been very, very patient with this. But I have a tier on Patreon that allows you to get your name shouted out at the end of the show. Uh, uh, no excuses. There are people who have spent way too much money and have gotten literally nothing in return. So I appreciate your support, and the fact that none of you guys emailed me is a, a absolute testament to your patience. But big shout out. To Brad, Mike, Paul, and Japan. Thank you guys so much. If you're listening to this, please feel free to hit me up with an email and uh, let me know exactly how you want to be credited at the end of the show. That email again is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. I want your Perot challenge. I want your answers. Who does that sound like? Who does who does Ross Perot sound like? Because I could actually go a couple different ways, but I wanted to put that out to you guys just to see what the reaction was. All right. You can follow me at Justin R. Young everywhere. Again, free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com is where you can find, well, the free political newsletter. And you can support the show at Take Politics Seriously. Dot com. Download archived episodes of this show at bonerwars.com. That wraps it up for us this week. A reminder that politics has three names. And some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. There was another one the other day that talked about politics, but this is the only show that talks about all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>